0: All right, you guys, welcome to this episode of The OutRun Show. We're coming in hot because the banter has already begun. Main <laughs> topic today, coaching uh, faux pas. We'll, we'll say that. Uh, coaching say, coaching, uh, coaching crime. crimes. Coaching uh-huh. yes, crimes, the alliteration. Okay, coaching crimes. It just sounds like uh Crimes mystery. against coaching. Crimes against, crimes against, against coaching. <laughs> crimes against coaching. I like that one. Crimes against coaching. Uh, we're also discussing what's the best uh, way to look at your TV. Streaming platforms uh (laughs) love them hate them what's your favorite what's your go-to are you somebody who's just like getting by with the uh default like operating system of your samsung tv or are you somebody who's like no i go to apple tv right Mm -hmm. and uh would we ever buy a supercar wow that's just here i am in my garage (laughs) and more on today's outrun show yeah
1: the fastest car i would ever drive would be a cybertruck
0: the fastest why so here
1: here we have to we have to
0: classify do you
1: classify like your model x and your cybertruck as a supercar considering like what do we define as like supercar right because performance wise performance wise they blow supercars out of the water True. So technically, if it's performance, they are supercars, but price tag wise, they're
0: uh, an entire figure cheaper
1: Different. than supercars. Yeah, I think
0: thought. that I think that from my understanding of not being a car guy but watching a lot of Netflix, which will be our next topic, is that <laughs> the supercar is a car that can travel at like race like speeds, but it's available to the consumer. Like usually they're street legal and really um, exceptional in, in a particular way. But I'm sure. Various car people would be really pissed right now. This is not a car, like this is. Even though, even no, though no. it is outrun, and we do overdrive, maybe we should polish up our, our car. Uh, we'll get our vernacular. Cyber. We'll get our our cyber truck. But, but, I but, mean, but, I follow but, a car
2: driver on Instagram, so so, so you're <laughs> a car guy now. You're yeah, a, a car guy. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, Cullen, are you a car guy? Uh, I'm okay with cars. Cullen is our executive producer. Yeah, they're all
2: right. <laughs> uh, yeah, freaking.
0: Cars. My dad has two R8s. Your dad has two R8s. Different colors. I think one is gray. See, when your dad was blue. like, I have an R8, I was like, all right, all right, you know, but you're like, I have two. Now you're getting the <laughs> that's definitely, right. that's a supercar guy. guy. Two <laughs> right? Yeah, guy. Guy. I have two. Okay. One has a circular exhaust. The other has rectangular. And, and that was colors. reason enough to buy a different one? Wow. I think he yeah. wants to supercharge one and the other's turbocharged. I don't know the difference. Mm. Well, well, there is they a both difference, go very fast.
1: Oh, that's, that's cool. All right. So uh, we don't, we don't know what the actual definition of supercar
0: is. I think, I feel like I'm pretty close, but. I, all right. I could define it for you. All right. So, so, so Jess is um, you are you, would you say you're anti-supercar though? I'm just like, I'm anti-car, you're anti-car car. for the most part. So right? how did you end up without a car? Let's t- tell that story just real quick. Yes. I, say.
1: <laughs> I moved to Fort Collins and then uh, like within a month of moving to Fort Collins, I think it was two months when we had just gotten our apartment. Um, I was in like a five car, like pileup and I was the middle one in that pileup. <laughs> um, so you can't be held responsible. No, I still got a ticket, Okay, uh, which is the wonder of the American justice system, <laughs> um, is that I lost my, you know, only mode of transportation and I had to pay a fee. Um, it's great, but no, so I was in that pileup and I crashed my car and then the insurance company was like, you know, Hey, that's total. And I was like, I could have told you that. Um,
0: What car was this? It was at Kia Soul. By the way, that already a boxy
1: car Mm -hmm. was a literal box. Yeah. (laughs) It was a square Mm -hmm. when I, you know, when I climbed out of it. Great safety. I was never worried for my safety, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, and then the insurance was like, hey, yeah, here's how much, you know, we'll pay for the total. And I was like, hey, (laughs) that's a pretty good chunk of change right there. And it was like, and I already live in Fort Collins, I work in Fort Collins. It's wonderful weather out here for the most part, mm-hmm. and so yeah, the I, are I, I took that. Justin also needed a new car, so um, half of that went to buying him a new car because he was driving like a 2004 like Mitsubishi
0: Eclipse. Is that Eclipse, I yeah, got. Half
2: Jesse's uh, insurance. Wow, so, yeah, yeah,
0: that was impressive. But you had the. Uh there that, that color of that eclipse is what really made it of its era. This is like your nineties yeah. eclipse. Yeah, like just blue, how you would imagine it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ice, ice blue, baby 90s blue nineties <laughs> eclipse. Yeah, Not it, the baby blue a, that Scott's got right now. Justin,
1: Justin car too. Like, mm. Um, but yeah, so that, that thing was like on its last leg. It was dying. So, uh, we took half of that to buy Justin a new car. And then, um, I took the other half and I spent $400 and I bought a single speed bicycle. Um, and I took the rest, and I put it in in a, in a retirement account. Yeah, and I've never looked back.
0: That's a, <laughs> that's a responsible adult. That's thrift right there. <laughs> you, uh, um, yeah, that's so that. But then later on, like, how many years before you got another uh, motorized mode of transportation? Because you uh, do have a ruckus. Yeah, I bought a little scooter, uh,
1: two years ago, now, a year and a half ago. Yeah, um, for two grand. Yeah, bought it. It had like a hundred miles on it. Two grand. It was great. It gets like ninety-five miles to the gallon just tool around on that guy now. Yeah. No, mm. I just tool around on that guy or I just walk where mm-hmm. I need to go. It's great. I don't think that like cars should disappear. I'm not like that hardcore, like, you know, eco guy. Mm. But I do think about 60% of the cars on the road could disappear and people could still function and they might actually function happier because they're getting some form of exercise by biking to work yeah. or walking to work rather than sitting in their
0: box. To go sit in a box. So that was a good, both economic and environmental decision. I think we made pretty good yeah, decisions. It was, it was circumst-
1: like it was a circumstance forced on me, for sure. But like, I yeah. was like, you know, I'm gonna roll with this. Because how often do you get, you know, th- you know, big payouts like that?
0: Five figure like payout just yeah. dropped into your pocket. Yeah. And I
1: was like, right, I'll take it.
0: Just keep the money, and uh, and then yeah, and go with the ruckus. Uh, so that's good. And then you guys are a, you guys are also a single. I mean, you could argue the Reckless is another mode of transportation, but really okay, you're a yep. uh, single vehicle household. Yes. And in our region in America, that's not typical. Like if you live in New York or Chicago, maybe you don't even own a car. Yeah, like, a lot of people don't even have a driver's license. Yeah. But license. In, and when you get outside of those really dense city areas, um, I think even in LA, they drive cars. Um, you, uh, you know, it's really rare to not have people who are married or even dating and have less than two cars. That's that's not typical. Yeah, it's like it's like one car per person. Adult. Yeah, per in adult household. in the house. Yep. And that and sometimes like, that more blows my mind. Like when I moved to Colorado, <laughs> I had a three stall garage that was a pickup truck, a car, and then a riding lawnmower. That's... You know, a riding lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: for your separate house Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and it had its own garage I mean, door. <laughs>
1: He had like a good sized backyard, but I don't know if
0: it was riding lawnmower. It, or because size. I came from Iowa, and Iowa like <laughs> Iowa grass like grows like the hair on Justin's legs. It's, it's just, just <laughs> furry, nonstop, right? So you have to have some machinery. Everybody has a little tractor.
1: Yeah, in whereas, Iowa. Like,
0: right? I hear you mow like once a week during
1: like peak season.
0: Dude, you know, I'm excited when Iowa it looks is, like, like my my lawn could take a mowing. <laughs> in Colorado, I'm like, oh, you look like you could actually be mowed and still look like you're well taken Full. care of. Right. Yeah. That's another one. Grass is kind of done like that. All right. I, I we, we digress. Uh, so, um, but no, but no supercars. Like why did, why did uh, you were opposed to the supercar? I'm super opposed to the supercar. We, yeah. we were talking about it if we were to grow old and retire and sort of like get a garage or something that you would just have like whatever you wanted in it because that just seemed like a, that's not really a dad thing. That's like a grandpa thing. Right. Yeah. Um, that we were joking that, that Jesse's would be filled with like parkour equipment instead of like classic cars or supercars or something like that. Yeah there'd be there'd be like a little studio with
1: mirrors and like you know vinyl floor laminate flooring for like dance. Mm-hmm. There'd be a bunch of high level parkour stuff that I can't build for classes because it's just too dangerous Yeah, or the kids just can't use it yet mm-hmm. um, And then there would be one of those like gaming cockpits where it's like <laughs> 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 that would be my warehouse. That would be in my warehouse. Right? Oh uh, those my Those are the three things gosh. that I can Right there. In my warehouse. Right? Mm. But no cars. No, if I, if I, I keep telling Carly though, you know, we'll, we'll buy a Cybertruck when her car dies. Mm. Um, her car's in great shape, unfortunately. So, um, we're probably like 10 years <laughs> really? out from that. Yeah, I, it doesn't look like it's in great shape. But so engine wise, drives hold it up.
0: so much. So drives the Nissan's it hold up, man. Yeah.
1: Um, so, when that dies, we'll buy a Cybertruck. Um which will still be an eco, you know, friendly move, Utility. which is what I care about. Mm-hmm. I care about it being most, most importantly, I care about like, you know, trying to leave this place a little better than than we got it. Um, but also, like, it's it's a sedan, so it's not like we can, you know, throw furniture in the back or anything like that. So we need some sort of truck, but trucks are historically awful on gas mileage. True, and I just can't buy a motorized vehicle. So the Cybertruck just came at the perfect time. I was like, yes. Well, yeah. By the time when it comes, comes, comes into production, <laughs> yeah, when it comes into production, <laughs> will hopefully yeah. be right around the time where you know we're ready to buy. So
0: love the Cybertruck, totally our style. It's our amazing. designer did our logo on the side of a Cybertruck as a as a joke, like fun. Yeah. for fun. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's a joke. I think it's gonna happen. So it's it's gonna, gonna happen. happen. <laughs> 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 if it glows like that on the side of the truck,
2: the other question. Really, really
1: logo's
0: getting fun. getting on there, but but yeah. So no supercar for me, ever. Would not own a supercar. That was the ultimate question: Is would you own a supercar? She so says no supercar. Uh, I don't think so either. Justice says no supercar. Oh my gosh! No, and, I mean
2: how like cleaning it. You have to. It's another hobby. It's another skill to learn how its to own clean. It house. You know, and like, ways I to mean, live. you have. To, I mean, either <laughs> taking it somewhere theory. to have professionals clean it, or you have to have like a whole another like weapons depot of
1: cleaning your car in your garage. So it's just. That's not going to happen. Well, and you. like in, you know, if you lived in like L.A. where the weather's, you know, pretty nice year round. Like yeah. here, um, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy in, uh, when we were in Steamboat last um, that was on the shuttle. And I was chatting with him and a wealthy guy like had flown in yeah. to like ski for the weekend. Because right. you know, he's bougie like that, Flo- flies into the Steamboat, Steamboat Airport. But he was like, yeah, I wanted to drive here, but I don't like, you know, driving my car in the snow. And he was—I t- don't remember what his car was, but—and um, somebody had asked him. They were like, "Oh, it's like you know, does it do well in the snow, or like what's the?" And he's like, "No, it does great in the snow. It's the salt that gets on the on the car itself, and it makes the paint mm. like like cleaning off that salt afterwards. He's like, it's such a pain because you can't just spray it and wipe it because then the salt essentially scratches all the paint. And then we use salt here,
2: right?
0: Or something, yeah. Whatever it, Whatever yeah, they Because mag
2: to, chloride, is uh, what that yeah, is,
0: right? yeah. I mean, but some regions just use sand, like in when I was in Iowa, <laughs> we just used well, sand. Even, <laughs> well, even the so, like sand, right? So you no say He was saying you couldn't, like, you couldn't.
1: It kind of a pain because you essentially have to hose the entire car down mm. for like five to ten minutes to make sure all the grains run up, mm. and then you can clean it. And I was just like, they could scratch the
0: paint. Man,
1: yeah, that's a lot. Man,
0: these are some first world problems. Some first oh world yeah. Problems <laughs> So you say no supercar yeah. as well.
2: They also can't drive themselves. They're not comfortable. They are, they're built it's for like same function. adrenaline. And like, it's Hardcore just like, that. you have to, you have to take that <laughs> car to the track, which then I would just keep it on the track. And at that point I would just rent it when, and now I'm just doing go-karts. In which case, <laughs> it's just just like go you can go literally you can just go-carts. show up to the
1: track <laughs> and rent a supercar yep. and drive it for all the function yep. that you're gonna get. Yeah. yeah Travis, though. Travis,
0: though. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. That's tough. Because I, like, look at them, like, like the uh, Pagani. Like, I look at them as, like, art in some ways. Like, I think that they're a really cool representation of, like, future art. Mm-hmm. Because some of them are so well- designed and crafted and they just look beautiful but there's this engineering element to it and it's sort of like it's difficult for humanity to express its desire to move into something more than than human when it comes to technology and engineering but cars have always been a good way to represent that because they have a function they can move you around Mm -hmm. but you can also employ pretty hot whatever's cutting-edge technology at that time into it and art and design into it I think that some supercars may be one of the more at least, like, Western, you know, in Western culture, the more, like, human things that, like, are, you know, I'm pretty sure that if, like, Da Vinci was alive, he might be working on a car, right? You know, it's just, like, yes. that they are supreme you know, levels of, like, engineering. They body. can be, right? Because some, some of them are just speed, and some of them are, like, I want to feel but like even, I can... Some of the Lambos are, like, I want to feel it. like I can drive it, but I want to look like I'm in something that's super fast that I, I... I did have a Lambo. Did you know that? He had some Lamb talk? <laughs> <laughs> a, i did a lawnmower lambo no it wasn't I'm it sure was, was a it was a 90s uh lambo uh waterbed oh you know talking about? <laughs> like when i was a kid i had like the cart yeah. the, the like uh, oh. osb uh cut out of yeah. a i didn't build it it was what you would buy like shout out if you ever had a, a lambo waterbed It was a black <laughs> one and then above it i had like an old poster or the calendars that had like the supercars on it and and yeah, I had no idea wow. what I was into. I was just like, yeah, you're like, that's awesome. Car, <laughs> I mean, my car you is like sleeping. Yeah, i was sleeping in a car. Yeah, I'm sleeping in car, I'm sleeping in my Lambo. I'm like, oh, it's so fast to sleep. I don't know. I'm glad waterbeds kind of a little style to I don't know what's up with that. Mm, that's like yeah, no supercars.
1: Terrible. I agree with you. Supercars are definitely in like art, right? Because mm-hmm. even just the ability to go that fast, while well, there is in the engine itself, requires a ton of you know engineering. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, the shape of the car the, the you know the aerodynamics of the car has to support that as well. Otherwise, your car just right, mm-hmm. or you get so much drag. So there is a lot of like, I'm sure they spend just as much money on, if not more, on somebody or a team of people to design what it looks like so it functions well mm-hmm. and can go that fast, but also looks really cool, yeah, right? Because you could are. just design a, a needle shape, yep. and nobody people are like that doesn't look that cool.
0: I also just kind of want to... Sometimes want to look like Batman. Yeah. Like, my, one of my buddies or our buddies um, back in Iowa has an NSX. And when you drive around that thing, you just feel like you're Batman.
1: Yeah, but let's be realistic. Batman didn't drive. He, he lives in Gotham City. You think he's going to deal with traffic like that? But he's he always would just he's like... Flying.
0: He'd just drive around like, uh, for a little bit, and then he'd fly. Isn't that how it went? Anyway. It's all, it's all for... All just for the movies. You know, you know, Bruce Wayne
1: never drove a day in his life, (gasps) except for fun. He flew. Okay, he went (laughs) to the top of Wayne Tower and he flew wherever he needed, or glided to wherever he needed. In his little light jet, to him. Yep.
0: All right. Shall we? Shall we? So you never
1: answered. You said maybe.
0: Yeah, I think I would have to be at that point in my life where like something crazy happened and i was just like an art collector i think if i was going to move further into like you know some sort of like what like a risk is, is, is aristocrat the word i'm looking for yeah True. like like <laughs> yeah like crazy like amount of wealth i don't know like i don't know how that would happen win the lottery and uh that i could see myself being interested in something like that. But it would definitely be the design and art thing. It would definitely be like, I'm not doing this a speed. I'm not an an engineer who's that interested. I'm just like, this is so freaking cool and human and from the future. And just the experience of being in it and around it was cool enough that I'd be like, yeah, and I would want this to preserve it so that in the future, people could enjoy it and look back on it the way that we look back on some things that are even 50 years old and get excited about as far as like technology and design goes. But I definitely don't have like some, yeah, like some, something I'm compensating for. Or <laughs> well, you don't
1: have to for some people.
0: But yeah, I would, I don't think the first thing I'm going to do if, if for some reason I became super wealthy would be to go like buy a Lambo and shove it in my garage. Like that's just, although I do like the older Lambos from like uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Them, the Countach, yeah. They just—they're so retro and cool. And the doors come up on the side, like yeah. stuff like that. It's cool. But yeah. I don't understand why. I mean, there're hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, mm. A lot of money could go elsewhere. Well, mm-hmm. You okay. can split it in half, still get a cool car, <laughs> and
1: still have you know seventy-five thousand dollars to do something with. Build your parkour garage. Yeah. Exactly. So.
0: All right, there you go for the car bus. We don't always talk about video games, and you can see how we stumbled through some car talk. Yeah. With. Car talk. <laughs> talk. Car talk car talk without run. I should cuz
2: that's the that's the like the first instance yes. of Outrun huh? Yeah, that that was a racing game.
0: It was a racing game. So, yeah. and uh, maybe on a future episode we'll all play that oh, game. Yeah. Gosh. I'm not we'll stream it. Right. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So we'll stream it on battle on it, right? right. That's we'll exactly. Just, uh, play Outrun. <laughs> that is that's awesome. Uh okay. Should we, uh, speaking of streaming, should we skip past streaming and go right to the meat of things? Let's go, let's go.
1: Crimes against coaching. Crimes against coaching. Move in there.
0: So, the
1: reason this thing came up is because uh, we're coaches, Mm -hmm. and we've been coaching for a long time now, and we ourselves have committed a great many of these crimes. Crimes against coaching. Crimes against coaching. um, But we're trying. As a process of learning... And so now uh, we hope that by talking about these things, if you're a budding coach or whatever, that you can learn from these things and either catch yourself before they happen um, or catch your coach and gently and kindly steer them somewhere else. So let's start with um, Justin, because I think Justin actually has the most, like, fervent passion <laughs> against coaching crimes
0: oh no i've battled them on i might maybe i do have, um, yeah. I have some opinions on this one <laughs> yeah good good but i have but i have some quirky names that i've been working on oh you can't
1: come up with any names of mine
0: uh, i know i'm sorry <laughs> so i yeah i had oh uh, uh, that's been you've been ping been before.
1: pinging the the staff chat for the past oh, like week yeah. or two yeah. thinking about it all right i've been
0: thinking about these for a while um, but, the But you've been pinging for names. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've been looking Snapchat. for some for inspiration for names. Because for, I think when, sort of, you create a persona around some of the, um, the faux pas, right, it's easier to call it out mm-hmm. and, ha- and not have a person. I'm always looking for ways to, like, nudge people that doesn't, like, jar it's them. Insulting. right? Yeah. Right, it's not insulting. I mean, maybe somebody take offense by it. But if we all know that that's just sort of, like, that's the persona and you're sort of not... You as an individual aren't that person. This is, like... Yeah, I mean, like if the
1: persona is named like Huckett Harry and you're talking yes. to Coach Harry. Yeah. I, yeah. Why not so That might not so well. but, but Huckett <laughs> Harry's great, but he's, that's an athlete. That's an that's athlete. That's an athlete, for right? sure.
0: I have a name for Huckett Harry's coach, though. Ah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. So do you want to start that? Yeah. Um, I think we should t- say, we've been talking about doing this episode for a while now because mm-hmm. this is going to be an earlier topic, but for whatever reason, we had other stuff we were talking about. But basically, it's just like, kind of involves alignment with like how if you're a coach to should you avoid certain things and then also like our own pet peeves when we've been coached and then also if you are watching your coach some things you can keep an eye out for now um there's nothing harder than trying to coach a group and like having a bunch of parents or other people spectate you coaching and then try to like meet everyone's needs and they don't understand what the chemistry is like i've had some people say to me oh Trav, you know on first day i came in and I heard you coach, and I was really afraid of you. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, why were you afraid? And Emily said that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I really appreciate you. She's like, oh, then like two or three days. I think actually Taylor said something like that too. She's like, not, not afraid, but just like intimidated. I thought you were super serious. And then you get to know what I spent a lot of time building rapport so that if I make jokes or take, take withdrawals, <laughs> basically. Um, then there's there's that that balance, like people still feel like I have compassion for them and I think that's what's most important. Um, so laying that, let's talk about some of the things that we've seen or mistakes have been made. So I think the first one that I would bring up is the, um, and we see this a lot in parkour, I would call it the uh, YOLO coach. So I would describe YOLO coaching as always feeling like you need to impress the student because they they may be as bored as you are with the <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> and Bad. and, and Bad, in doing so, right? Yeah. <laughs> in doing so, you just look for continuously like harder and bigger stuff and just, okay, guys, we're going for the, the gap to the 10-foot pillar today. Why? Have they tried jumping two feet? Nope, because I'm bored with the curriculum. You know, that's like YOLO coach would totally just go for the biggest stuff. And then there's like, there's no progressions, right? Mm -hmm. So it's straight like, man, we're going to do this. We're going to get this jump. We're going to, we're going to jump to this bar without testing. There's just just like, you get a a talented kid who you
1: show something and they get it in a couple of tries. And so they're like, oh, cool. The the next thing is just farther and farther and farther. Right. But for a talented athlete, they go farther and farther until they break. Right. Right. they're they're the supercar like they just keep going those things break a lot am i right
0: yeah they break a lot
1: and so like a smart coach or a smart driver is like oh yeah after i've redlined it for you know a couple of laps i should probably (laughs) let a mechanic look at it clean it up before i take it out on the track Mm -hmm. again but if every single time you take it on the track every single day with no
0: maintenance and you're just redlining it you're just yeah. trying high-impact stuff, you're going to, you know, the YOLO coach is going to be the the coach who's like, well, it's trying to work on backflips. The, so. the YOLO coach is absolutely
1: you only live once. Because the coach isn't going to get hurt when, yeah. the, when the athlete, oh, you know, acts himself across the... Yeah, it's <laughs> not that coach saying, I only live
2: once, so I'm going to go for the it. The coach but is like, you all only All live my
0: students, live you only get one shot. You only live one time, so you, <laughs> you might, know, as well might as well just hop. Might as well just go her. big. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes the YOLO coach um, will also yeah yeet out a few movements and be like look i yeeted it out so so can you kind of thing that could be so there could be many... but yolo so the one thing i i i how would you curb yolo coaching uh well i think you have to like
2: uh acknowledge that it is easy and i don't blame too many people for becoming yolo coach because nah. kids want you to be the yolo coach it's mm-hmm. what like they ask for. They, the kids will ask for yoloing they will be yeah. like put it higher put it higher let me jump off this. Like it'll be constant pressure, and you have to fight that. They'd be like, "I've been <laughs> watching
0: eight hours of Storer and Jesse LeFlair. Like, <laughs> I need some, I need some action, right? If you ever had a kid that's been like, when are we gonna do the real parkour?
2: Like that question right there is whew, that's a tough one. And like especially if you've got like parents up here watching, they're like, like, yeah, when's when are you gonna teach my kid real parkour?
1: When's he gonna do something like, like a post? So on that's when
2: I'm like, that that's when it's hardest to not be a Yolo coach and. uh um, I think you just, you, when kids ask you that, or they're like, can you do a backflip? Well, then what are we doing? Like, what is, what's real parkour? I think you just have to ask the students to, you know, prove that they deserve your backflip or they deserve the the YOLO move or the, the bigger jump by doing the smaller progression. And,
0: and also the progressions are key. And when you get to that big move, it shouldn't feel that big. I mean, typically you do have some scenarios where we're talking about, stress and fear challenges is more advanced, but you should be working on enough progression that you feel some sense of confidence that you can do it, even if it's Mm -hmm. a scary move. The whether you can do a backflip or not, should not be discovered in the middle of it. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, wonder if I can do a backflip? So you throw a backflip and you're like, huh, I've learned now, I cannot. Too bad I'm upside down and gonna fall on my head, right? That's that's YOLO coaching. So progressionless coaching is YOLO coaching. So on the other side, of uh progressions i have another um uh, crime against coaching archetype and that is the crash test dummy coach yeah this oh before one, you oh, i, oh, I think also
2: yolo coaching is we it, may need uh, more time for yolo coaching that could be an entire it episode. is a really big one I, it also forgets like one of the coolest parts about parkour and that is the variation and and uh changing and the in the lateral, lateral progressions progression that you mm-hmm. have because when you do a move one place, what parts, uh, when you learn a, you know an eight foot broad jump, one of the coolest things about parkour is you can take that and now apply it over just literally anything you find. Right mm-hmm. outside, you're looking for rail precisions at eight feet. You're looking for curbs precisions at eight feet. You're looking at cat leaps at eight feet. So uh, when I feel like people are looking at one move, like a tack to a precision, and they're just scaling it bigger and bigger for their kids, it's just, you're just at track. You're just try and long jump and you're just trying to get further every time there's no there's nothing original about trying to go bigger every time you land the The previous one so there has to be something else that's more creative than just adding
0: another inch to whatever move you did right so right i mean to to come back to the car analogy again you know taking 0.1 seconds off your lap time doesn't really how much of a change in the experience of the lap is it right you know get on a different track then you have something different and this is what I remember being an analogous to um, like Kung Fu Masters that I really was, in, in there. and the first time I experienced this when I, we met Daniel Alabaca when he came to the gym, and, and I saw him in jeans do stuff that I was like, what? What is this person? He's not a human. And it made me feel like I don't know what people are capable of. And it's that feeling. Of, and so then I started thinking, what's the upper limit on mastery for parkour? And then I think that parkour's unique characteristic is that um, it's the environment. So wherever you could find some, if you take someone who's even at that, like in that, that advanced skill level and you put them anywhere in the world in different environments, they're going to have become a master of that environment. And so there's always something to be discovered, mm-hmm. right? So if you get bored and you're like, ah, the way we train here at this gym, go to another gym, it's different. You go outside to a campus, it's different. You go to Europe or to Asia and you find somebody who lives in a town that's got different architecture and you're like, that guy you just there's so much to be learned from that master because they've mastered the relationship with their environment and so there's so many environments there's so much lateral progression that could occur no need to yolo yep uh unless that's your thing but hey it's just yeah I it's if like it's your you thing said, go
1: back it's, it's not creative <laughs> yeah. right no and, and parkour is inherently born out of a sense of creativity yeah right a sense of like not wanting to go with the status quo and wanting to discover something new and if you're just like oh great let's make it bigger has YOLO become the status quo no I don't think so I think there are a lot of really awesome coaches out there that that on the flip side I don't know what your second archetype is but I was going to say that the flip side is the coach that never increases the difficulty for their students they're always working on the like the techie or goofy challenges where you're like all right let's do attack with your heel now. I do have your elbow or your nose <laughs> or your ear right and so they're they're too deep on that creativity mm-hmm. side where well, the kids are never actually being challenged in in just a basic way mm-hmm. they're always like all right we're gonna like you're gonna you put your arm out he's gonna tack off your arm and then we're gonna boost him in the air and you're like now you're doing circus stuff mm-hmm. right which is cool but again it's like if that's all you're teaching and all you're focused on are these like gimmicky moves. Now you're so there's two things going
0: on there. Um, I, I, I don't know whether I wanted to call this coach the um, Krieger coach from Archer, or Krieger, yeah, okay. yeah. Or if I want to call him the Mad Scientist coach, mm-hmm. and this is someone oh. who is devising overly mechanistic, unrelated, hyper refined, like games and scenarios that just are way out in in the weeds as far as like what you actually need for what you want to do like if you went to their class you'd be like this isn't what i recognize as parkour or someone would do it and they'd be so ill they'd be so ill prepared because of all of the um hypotheses that have been presented to them that you put them in a real (laughs) scenario and they won't even recognize what they're doing so this type of coach can easily be absolved in the same way that we pick healthy food without knowing much and that is do I recognize that that's a whole food? If I look at the plate, do I see a vegetable that's clearly a vegetable, some meat and some rice, right? Or do I look there and I'm like, I have no idea what these ingredients are. So if you go in sometimes and you look at what a coach does, this shouldn't be confused with, with progressions that lead to something else. But a, you know, a jump is a jump. And if it looks like it's turning into something else and you, it just makes no sense what weird little, little like uh, experiment you're on. I would consider it a mad science, mad scientist thing. I've seen it's people like, do progressions like that where people will list a progression. and I'm like, okay, we'll do this, but now balance an apple on your head while you do the tack." I was gonna say like a, a very key defining factor of this coach is the sheer number of props that that coach is using. Yeah. So I've, this coach bleeds very closely and I almost called him the same thing, but I think there's a slight difference and that is the Carney coach. As in, like the carnival Carney coach. Uh-huh. And this is a coach Can we who's call over. Him carnival coach? I think some people's last name here at members is Carney. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like those guys, but there's exceptions. They're just Carney, like, it's like the guy who, you know what I mean? When you go Carney to. coach? Yeah. Like a, you go to a, a. Corny? Carnival? Carnival coach? That's a lot of syllables. But, anyways. Okay.
1: Guys, they're work in progress.
0: All right. <laughs> so, this is the person who relies heavily on props, right? Because yeah. you could still. Have no interest in progressions or digression in your coaching or mechanisms and just be carrying around a bunch of foam noodles and like, you know, <laughs> 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 <Too bad. Right>? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, we call them crusty The crusty Coach. There we go. <laughs> Krusty Right. The <class. laughs> <laughs> 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 and they're like, <laughs> hey kids, get a bunch of noodles. Let's do her. Right? And then so they're just like whack. And sometimes this our games turn into this sometimes. And I'm just like, let's pull it back a little bit, where it just looks like you're going through like the the hall of horrors, right? With just like, yeah. you know, traps set up and like, you know, it can be kind of fun with the littler kids, but at it, some points it's, it's well, like... Well, I think actually it's almost more it's, fun when more it's fun. all coaches day. more <laughs> fun when you have elite athletes because the
1: challenges just get yeah. absolutely yeah. ridiculous. It's but just, nobody's doing them to train, no. right? That's the thing is nobody mm-hmm. is like, nobody's like, oh, this is what our practice is going to be and we're going to get so good at this laser maze. But we we just do them because they're goofy and yeah, fun, right? But they don't belong in in the coaching or learning environment. They belong in, in, the in play, play and small doses. Yeah, it's
0: like it's like yeah, you're too into p- play, like in and to the point where it stops becoming. you're almost moving the direction of Ninja Warrior, where it's like the the it's more me- like Wipeout, actually. Yeah, it's like, more like Wipeout. Oh, you're getting yeah. too Wipeout. Yeah, yeah,
1: so which again, like everybody's watched that show, and you're like I. I would love to go and try those things, right? Because they're gimmicky and fun and goofy, but I wouldn't ever, like, post that on my highlight reel and be like, look how cool I am. Right. Parkour. I'd be like, yeah, I went on Wipeout, and I got, you know, my butt tossed. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. would never use Wipeout to, like, prove your athletic, you know... prowess. Yes. (laughs) And if you did, you... you're gonna have to have done some really cool stuff on
0: the show. I feel like a wipeout coach might be another type of coach, though, because another horrible coaching style is allowing your student to fail uh, when there's yep. no need for it. Yep. Like sometimes people will set up stuff where they know there's risk, but they're like, oh, well, they'll fall and then they'll learn. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's, but your,
1: that's your crash test dummy,
0: right? Crash test dummy is a little bit different because crash test dummies' intention oh, is not that's to some narrow fields. I here. know, <laughs> I know, but I just like have so many critiques. <laughs> <laughs> the the crash system is slightly different in the sense that they they don't know what the person's capable of so they're going to like okay so for a good example of this is brand new student time for cat leaps well i don't know if you can even cat hang but we're going to test it in the cat leap mm-hmm. um my favorite one is when you take new students and i see somebody who's relatively new or they see somebody who's athletic or maybe they just really aren't paying attention and the person isn't capable and they'll do something like uh like a cat leap to cat back pre something like that like cat leap to cat back where you've got like three like really staple you know movements mm-hmm. in themselves that are hard to understand like you know doing a cat leap and then actually doing a cat hang and then you know or, the cat yeah, and then and you're doing position. the cat dismount and you're doing a landing position so you're testing like takeoff like catch landing position that's nearly blind i mean it's hard to get your head turned around and look and all in all, all those three things potential risk for injury in, in separate skills in one movement you're trying to learn mm-hmm. all three of those things and they're like i can't get this i can't get this move but really it's like okay this is a time for you to be a bit more mechanistic and take a step back and say okay do you do you, what's your takeoff look like can you even yeah. get there can you even land okay cool can you even cat hang once you get to the thing okay can if you, if you cat back can you even jump to where, like, if we just put, like, with cat backs, what I'll do sometimes is put a box right where they're gonna be coming from, like that wall, and then have them jump to where they're trying to go from the um, from the cat back. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do that, then I'm like, well, why am I gonna ask you to throw just yourself?
1: Spider-Man off a wall and do it, right, yeah. Yeah. Or even then, they're like,
0: I can I can
1: cat back from, you know, your, your student will be like, well, I can, I can do the cat back or the broad jump this distance, right? And that's the distance that they're doing this cat to cat or this precision, right? And you're like, but when you have a specific element that's at the end of it, you have to have, you're never gonna do a cat back or a precision at true 100% of what you can broad jump or what just sheer distance you can cat back at, right? Uh Like you always have to have some in the tank because the landing itself is gonna require you to have a little bit of wiggle room, a margin for error, right? Now, maybe if you hit, a precision with absolute perfect you could hit 100 percent but that's a one in a million mm-hmm. that you're gonna hit it just perfect where you don't need to counterbalance or anything like that and right do it more than once and do yeah which right? is what we always ask students to do we, <laughs> we ask do them to do yeah.
2: learning cat just and you're just doing it once and, right?
1: and yeah, yeah a, a coach needs to know like your students are going to want that they're gonna mm. be like let me let me take the take the reins off let me get out of the gate like mm-hmm. i'm i'm going right and you need to be like no because even if you, let's say that all things go well your your student hits it it's awesome everybody's fine sweet that's pretty rare and pretty unlikely what's more likely is they biff it yeah and now you're a month back in mental progression and 2 weeks back in physical recovery right Cause they're going to take two weeks to recover from a rolled ankle or God forbid something worse. Mm-hmm. And mentally they're also going to be like, ah,
0: I don't really want to try that. Cause last time I broke my wrist. So, I don't really have that. Congratulations. Major fear of like backflips anymore. Um, haven't had that for a long time, but I know there's a lot of people who just were fine with backflips and then they bail out of one and then they just never do them again because they're afraid that they're, they yeah. don't trust themselves anymore. Yeah. Well, and that's a common thing too. Like when we do our like backflip workshops, right?
1: Like we will spend. An hour uh, of an hour and a half workshop, we will spend an hour and 15 minutes before anybody is attempting a back tuck, right? And sometimes we'll even like, we'll get all the way there and somebody will be like, I'm ready. And you're like, nope, (laughs) you're, you're not, you're going to stay over here. And that pisses some people off Mm -hmm. because they're like, I I feel like I'm ready. Well, the trampoline
0: park lets me do it.
1: (laughs) And you might be ready. You might go for it and you land it it, and it's awesome. But the trade-off is if you miss, yeah, and you land head. on your head. Spear everything that we just worked for mm-hmm. goes out the window, and we're a step back. Mm-hmm. Right now we have to now we have to come yeah. in. And well, I got to teach you how just, to jump again. Uh, it's yeah, not, not just so the student
2: stupid. too, because that trauma is being witnessed by the entire get, other class. You get right?
1: secondhand <laughs> trauma as well <laughs> yeah. from everybody else who's like, "Oh, I thought Justin's shapes were really good on the drills, yep. and he just bailed, and I wasn't as confident as he was, and now." yeah right exactly and so it's just like as a coach it's you got to be able to shut that down and like not be an ego coach Mm -hmm. and be like oh i gotta prove that i could teach these people a backflip in an hour and a half
0: right you gotta be able to be like
1: no no yes
0: yeah i think that one of the the tools that that i've used because i spend a a lot of time with adults and um yeah, they're the trickiest ones. Yeah, the way they, they're so easy. Like, they don't recover as well. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're heavier. Um, so, um, and what I mean by that is, like, kids are so light. Like, the head, again, the head to body weight ratio is your biggest risk. <laughs> like, you know, you're going kind to of a neck injury because you're 40% weight in the head, you know, 60% weight <laughs> in the body. Um, but adults are different. Uh, and, and so, I will tell my adults that I don't know... If, I, if, if they ask me, if they press me on it, I'll say, I don't, I don't really know when you're going to be ready for this, but it's your job to make me not afraid for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's my level of fear when I see you do things and anxiety is my really my metric as to whether you get to do more. Yeah. And so I have to see you do some stuff for a while before I could say confidently, oh, you're ready. Um, you're ready to do this and I used to do things where I'd have people come in and I'd do an assessment I'd try and do that in a short amount of time but now I find I need to spend more time with them like a month or two of seeing them training and see and see where the there weakness needs to
1: be lies. consistency
0: there needs to be consistency I had a I had a student come in and I thought they were pretty strong and I was doing one of these assessment periods or whatever I was trying that out and I just remember um them wanting to do like acrobatic stuff and they're like okay cool I had them like go, I'm like "Could go you just could kind have of crawl up the wall and and a couple times to do a handstand right and then, some people think this is a ridiculous progression. This is a backwards wall climb and they fatigued out in three and just sort of like kind of fell over and were bleeding out of their nose. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a good thing we checked that out, (laughs) you know? And it's otherwise able-bodied like 20-something, right? Yeah. So, you know, you just get to know them and have that awareness and intuition. They'll trust you more too. This leads to that I've had students tell me too. It's like, I'm afraid to do this, but if you tell me I can do it, I believe I can do it. That is powerful, but that only comes from they know that you intimately understand their abilities. Mm-hmm. And if you're confident in them, they can be, which is the opposite of, again, back to YOLO coach, because YOLO coach is going to be yelling, You got this. You got this. It's no all in your mind.
2: What the kid's doing. You got this.
0: Yeah, that that's a
1: very dangerous, like, uh, it also is a tough skill to develop. It like like when you when you do that with a student and they continue to fail, you you're spending a lot of of rapport currency, right? Because <laughs> even a if the kids the down. kids not registering <laughs> that like you're saying these things, they they are hearing that you're saying you got this and then they fail. You got this and then they fail. And they're gonna say it's their fault. This and then they fail. And they're like, oh, okay, so either a I suck, which right, you no know, confidence, <laughs> or b my coach doesn't know what he's talking about he or she's talking about, right? And doesn't know what I'm capable of. It's sad because it could be both. It could, and it (laughs) it often is both, right? And so like, it's it's the coach's (laughs) job to be like, ooh, I've watched him fail that three times in a row. I sometimes even wait for three. I'm like, at two, I'm like, come on over here, right? I'm like, here, let's take an easier progression because I want you to get that positive reinforcement on the exact same move, even if it's smaller, right? I want you to feel confident in the movement so that when we apply it to a new environment, you're like, "Oh, I understand the movement so well, I can I can anticipate what it might feel like in this new environment, and I'll I'll pull them off." And that's for kids especially. They're like, "Let me just let me just keep trying," and they're like, "Nope,
0: you yeah, failed twice."
1: I, uh... And those those fails weren't even like they weren't great fails. They looked ugly. <laughs> they looked awful. So no, I... we're moving on
2: we're gonna try something else right three is my absolute failure max but you can almost tell immediately after their first failure or their second one because if they fail and you know they failed and their response is like
1: yeah
2: you're like (laughs) okay (laughs) nope you're going back (laughs) the kid imagined himself doing something different but what he did and what he imagined are completely separate right and so it's like okay you failed but you thought you did it right and so now you're just going to reinforce it over and over again. So That's the
0: wind blow. <laughs>
2: but uh, some students will fail. Yes, exactly. Like,
1: Up and over. Up and over. <laughs> my face my, to your foot style. <laughs> like, wait, what? We took him
2: wrong as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's so easy when you see a kid like that and they celebrate their failures. And it's like, okay, I got to break this kid's heart and send him back a couple times. because um, uh, And what, sometimes if I get sucked there, I'll just video it. And I'll video the whole class, and and kids will once they compare themselves to other kids, they'll notice their failures. So that's like my easier way to not break their hearts. Um, but like, if you see a kid it, I mean- and they fail, and they're like, I know it, they'll they'll cut me off as I'm about to say what they did wrong. they be like, I know, it, I know, it, I know it, I did it wrong. That was a bad one. That's when I know that they can try again, even though they failed, right? Because they witnessed or they they were cognizant of their own failures or mess
0: ups or whatever. So. And just giving, giving, a like opening the mind and giving them progressions again, lateral. It's like, if you have even a four foot broad jump, all right, then you should also, you should then be able to, to have a radius of stuff around you that you can jump four feet to. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Your parkour might, your parkour jumping distance might end there. (laughs) I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's about your ability to go out and explore and grow but you in might advance. Be like I can do a four foot precision to anything. Anything. That's mm-hmm. another thing. Very cool point. Yeah. yeah. Put two ballpoint pens standing up. All precision. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's pretty four cool feet point. can be, feel very large depending on where you're at or very challenging. <laughs> depending on how high you are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, the one the the biggest thing I get frustrated at is when coaches. It feels like maybe like the the negligent stepdad that looks like just has no feedback whatsoever, the whole class, whether something's good or it's bad. And the only like response is like, I don't know when something crazy happens and you just have to intervene. So, and that is just tough because this changes every age group. You can have, uh, you know, in Sparks and the five to seven year olds, you can have a kid come up to you and swear they hate cat leaves. And they're just like, I'm never doing it. I'm never gonna hang ever again in my life. And then I can have them hang and then be like you did so good you were so great you had such strong arms in that cat hang and then literally the minute later they're coming back i'm so good at this is my favorite thing in the entire world and like it's just one second of cueing and saying something that and and positively encouraging a kid uh, can change their entire outlook on one move and that changes based on the age teenagers you have to work at a little bit to crack and get that yeah. like peer um, i don't know status and uh, adults i think are a little bit harder, but when you, when you finally get adults on your side, you can't ever say anything wrong. If you say something uh, or critique something wrong in that, in that atmosphere, they hold it against you, mm. and that is uh, that one's even harder. So I that that's what adults scare me the most. Because kids, you can undo a mistake.
0: Yeah, you adults, can, uh, they're, p- they're like puppies. They forgive you. They forgive right. Adults,
2: like ten years later, they'll be like, man. Travis told me I didn't roll oh. like that, but I rolled exactly like the person in front of me.
1: It, dep- it depends <laughs> on the person. I know I did like, it dep- right. <laughs> and so that's- There's a lot of that. A lot yeah. of the like adult workshops, I'll be like, nice, uh, that kind of sucked, but I'm happy for you that you tried it, <laughs> right? Like, like that's what I'll do with adults. Yeah. And because I think it's, it and it, it's different for like Breaks coaches, right? You have to be genuine. That's the mm-hmm. big thing. It's like, yeah, no matter sure. who you're coaching, whatever age group, you have to be genuine. Cause if you're, if you're working with an age group, they'll be able to pick that up pretty easily. Kids are really good at it. Adults are really good at it. Teenagers are kind of bad at it, actually. Um, You can kind of fake that one but chaos. teenagers are also the easiest to be genuine with because you have to inject so much energy into that group anyways <laughs> yeah. because they're just so like morose because they've been in co- you know they've been in, in a classroom for freaking 10 years now and they're just, where like, does depressed. their soul go i want to blame it gets, something it's it absorbed don't know. into the, the brick walls of their 1980s mm-hmm. elementary school that they're still repurposing yep. It's just There's like the, day off. the, no, just the uh, school just sucks the soul out breakfast out. club breakfast club yeah. that's a breakfast club reference so um, it's true so coach yeah, good was uh, right. just gonna say that it's like it regardless of of what age group you're working with being genuine and not being genuine is like a is a coaching crime as well mm-hmm. right yeah. like coming in and be like good nice yep awesome like nobody wants feedback from a robot it's like on one of those mm-hmm. typing games where it was like, <laughs> perfect
0: <laughs> perfect like nobody's like
1: <laughs> oh that's the, like they're that's just the, like he has to say that he's coded to say that right <laughs> software forces him
0: to yeah that yeah my daughter nova hates the the one thing she hates about remote school is the is like the disingenuous like robot tests right where you answer the questions and then it just like fires back they're like almost try again like, <laughs> <laughs> nova would <Woody, laughs> he yeah, totally just complains <laughs> <too. But, laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so
1: i'm like so a challenge if you're if you're the coach that like you just find it hard to give genuine compliments and there are some people out there that does that. My challenge would be when you coach a class, you can't ever use the same positive cue mm-hmm. That's good. twice. So you can't, like if a kid hits a precision and you're like, nice! And the next one hits it, you can't say nice again. You can say, great! Yeah. Or you can say, awesome! And eventually you'd be like, I'm really running out of one word adjectives to throw out here. And you have to be like, Justin, Good positioning on the ankles. Yeah, Justin, nice job with the arms, right? And those are really where the, the the students start to to feel like, oh, this coach knows me. And then when Justin's trying to, he's like, let me eat this, coach. Let me just, <laughs> let me yeah. just come on. Let me just, let me just go for it. I'm like, Justin, you're not ready. And he'll be like, you know what? This guy knows me. I trust yeah. him. I, I'm okay with this, even though I really want to go for that, right? And so it's it's like all these little deposits that you got to make, but they got to be genuine. Everything's got to come from a base of genuine. So disingenuous coach, that's a that's a crime. That's probably the worst yeah. crime against mm-hmm. coaching. Is somebody who's,
0: who's coaching who just doesn't genuinely care yeah. about their students. I was trying to trying to come up with a name for this one because I kind of feel like like coach as audience is what this one kind of bleeds into is where you have like a coach literally just sitting there watching people. It's like you gave the task out. It's essentially you're one step away from like the, the workout of the day being written on a dry erase board, right? Where it's like the person would come in and be like, what's the workout? And they're like, it's this, 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 and that. And the person just like sits there with like coffee or whatever, they're on their phone, they're checking their phone, they're like drinking and they're it's just like- like workout not... daycare. It's workout daycare, right. And, and as audience, you shouldn't just be, you have to be engaged, right? That engagement, I think, is missing from a lot of uh, beginner and novice coaches, or especially coaches who are just fatigued. Maybe they're working, like some people are working eight hours of coaching, or teachers are working full days teaching, right? I could totally see getting to that point where like the energy is just like, you're just on autopilot, right? It's yep. very easy when you do one class a week to come in fresh and enthusiastic. But I think that what you mentioned was would be a really cool drill for like a coaching cert, which would just be, okay, you have three, you know, even a minute, We have to test it a minute to three minutes. And you have one person who's like, be the coach like you or me or someone just like jumping around and swinging and doing things. And then the coach has to continually give positive feedback but can never use the same thing. So by the time you'd be 30 seconds into it, you'd have to be very descriptive about what you thought a good job was. And the more descriptive you get, the harder it
1: is if you have a group to be able to get it to them, right? Because you've got maybe two seconds Before they're on to the next thing. Especially with children. And like adults, you could sit them down and be like, that was the most beautiful lache I think I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. And they'll be like,
0: he's lying. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm like, it wasn't though. It was beautiful. (laughs) For you. I have trust issues. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean,
1: you've got to be quick, right? You've got to be like, nice work on that. You know, bend your knees a little bit more. Right? Like those are those are like the cues that need to come out quicker. Mm-hmm. And if it's positive, it's tough because sometimes you should be like, I like the smile on that one. Can be a positive cue, yeah. even if the kid just straight up knee landed that whole precision. <laughs> You'd be like, Wow, I like how you were smiling the whole time.
0: Good <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you
1: can't be you can't get really specific. I love the way that your hair waved in the air as you were jumping. Like that's just too specific. I might,
0: I might use that one actually. Well, I think yeah. I've used that, yeah. For really? Sure. <laughs> I guess oh,
1: yeah. we do. We do have some students who have like really long hair, yeah. and I ask them all the time why they don't tie it up. Because my hair is yeah. not like super long, Challenge right? But I, I have, have to have something in my head when I'm training because it gets in my. Head. And so I'll be like, "Wow, I don't know how you saw it through yeah, all your that's hair. <laughs> that's like. You did that blind. That was amazing. <laughs> yep. Imagine if you tied your hair up, you'd be you'd be amazing." <laughs> all right
2: that's hilarious i don't need it (laughs) yeah i i think i when i'm coaching i try to not let a single student perform any move without some sort of feedback from me you know warm-up is one thing obviously you don't need to you don't need to be so picky about that but when they're practicing a skill or a progression they need to go slow enough the class needs to rotate slow enough that almost every single kid has a chance every single time they perform something to get either a look from you, or you know, just an expression, or or more solid feedback on how to fix things. But if they're just doing it on their own, I they're just inside their own head, and mm-hmm. again, they're imagining themselves doing something that's probably not the way it is. Almost no, no one has
1: an accurate no. picture of yeah. themselves performing these things. You're mm-hmm. mutually right. That's where dance is pretty good about that, because you get a mirror. Get the mirror. And you're like, get the the yep. Mirror. Very true. Mm-hmm. Not good. But yeah, and, and coaching cues, do not they don't always have to be um, verbal, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes I'll be across the gym and I'll have two two groups working on different things and I'll look over at the other group and I'll see somebody hit it and I'll be like, Justin! Yep. And that's it, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, God. Right? Yeah, that, like, was that's your, it? Like, that
0: was a gnarly sign for listeners. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, anybody <laughs> listening,
1: I did a hand symbol. <laughs> I was like, hey, listeners, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but sometimes you can just like a thumbs up or just a big smile and like uh-huh. like expressive body language where you're like
2: <laughs>
1: yeah you know where you're like i'm making it like the excited face like my mind just got blown. your mind blown emoji like just pantomiming some of those things especially for kids yeah like can be really powerful as like as a positive cue
0: and sometimes they could just eat it and you're like <laughs> and
1: they're like ah, oh, yeah my coach hey, he knows yeah. that i'm trying
0: yeah and one so. of my favorite cues when uh, I can't remember who I specifically got this from, but he—it um, was another coach I think that I was working with, or and and he's like, "Oh, when I work with kids and they fall down, I'm just like, that was a surprise." And I'm like, <laughs> "I use that one all the time." So they're so like, "Look good, up!" Yeah. They'll look up at you and be like, "I oh, like they're about to cry." And be like, well, "Wasn't that a surprise?" And then they're like, I get, "Yeah, didn't look at it that way." <laughs> right. So then it releases the tension. Yep. That's yeah, a I, good cue. I feel
1: like have you guys seen the thing where like, uh, you have like a toddler or like a baby. they're holding them and then as you walk by like a door frame you smack the door frame and then you're like oh I'm so sorry and the baby's like "Uh," and starts to like (laughs) cry Uh... I feel like sometimes students this is not if you're one of our students this is not at all insulting Um, I'm not trying to be mean but sometimes I feel like students can be like that Mm -hmm. right where if you Mm -hmm. if you especially with children and adults again teens kind of exist in their own little world but if you're like oh my gosh, that was a terrible bail. They reinforce that. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like, oh, that was, I'm super scared of that now. But if you're like, wow, they're just like, that. that's it? Wow? Yeah. He's going to don't give it away. This one is tough anything.
2: too because sometimes like you do see something and you're like, oh, and everyone does that noise. Yep. But that's almost <laughs> the worst when you're bailing and you hear people, like before you hit the ground, the first thing you're registering and
1: everybody <laughs> be like, oh, it's like, oh, well, this is going to be bad. <laughs> Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, traditional sports like football does this really well. Well, where somebody gets like knocked over or somebody gets hurt, you know, your your EMTs go out there and they pull them off the field, and then when they're coming off the field, people are clapping and cheering for that mm-hmm. person, right? Um, I'm not sure where that came from. I'm sure there's like some machismo. It's usually when the guy stands up and gets back in line, and mm-hmm. there just like, ah, rub some dirt in it, right? <laughs> Maybe that's its origins, mm-hmm. but. That's really cool. Like when a kid bails in class, you know, small or big, like giving them positive reinforcement, like I like the way that you really went in for that.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: we'll get it next time. Mm -hmm. Like awesome job on, on, you know, on getting two feet on that rail. The issue was we just didn't get enough distance, right? But giving those positive reinforcements cheer after the bail, those matter so much when it comes to getting your student to come back to that thing at the same level or better than they were before. So.
0: Yeah. yeah, And it
2: is very important after a bail to get your kid back onto a winning progression in a winning mindset Absolutely, for sure because yeah. that is a toxic one that's very hard to get out so and and that's why i don't like bailing over and over again constantly because it's just it's just you're just not winning ever and so when you have you need progressions that you know anyone can do and it feels like it gets you through the whole flip because a lot of times people or or a whole move they, they witness these moves like a Kong vault or a cat leap or a lache and flips are the worst at it. And they think it is one move when mm-hmm. it is uh, just a hundred slices of, of different things. And you can be succeeding at parts of those, but if you don't land at the very end, it feels like you failed the whole thing. Yep. So yeah. So <laughs> yeah, being
1: able to break up a movement into achievable and actionable sections matters. Yep. So that when they do put it together, they're able to recognize I've landed this first part. I've landed the second part, landed this third part. I know that I can land all three of these things. I just have to be able to put them together. And yeah, it's a sign you were saying earlier, like, I know I can let my kid or my student keep trying it. If I'm like, Hey, that was a good attempt. What happened? And they're like, I didn't use my arms enough. Uh-huh. Or yeah. I forgot to tuck my knees. Right. You can be like, cool. Yep. You got it. That means that you did a good job as a coach of segmenting the movement into pieces that they can understand. And you're like, hey, this flip is set and takeoff, tuck and rotation, opening and landing, right? Just an Mm -hmm. easy three part for flips, right? And if they don't land it, you can be like, hey, what was it? And they were like, oh, I opened too soon. Cool. You know, it's part three. We talked about that, right? It's it's the opening and the landing. And that's where part one and two were great. And your student can recognize that. Then that's when you can let them kind of keep it, attempting yeah. it, right? And then you know if they keep failing on that last part, then you're like, okay, cool, let's let's work on just that specific part three, the, you know opening and landing, and take it somewhere else. But yeah, if your kid's like, I just I didn't do it. <laughs> like, what would you? What didn't you not do? The whole thing.
2: <laughs> yes, I <didn't> flip. but. <laughs> <I didn't
1: flip. laughs> Like okay, yeah. Oh,
2: that—that and and that brings me up the other one. It's like the there are some cues that I think should never be used, and it's the jump harder, <laughs> jump higher, set more. more. Yes, set more, do more. It's like yeah, the like ethereal, like just like do what you know you should be doing. But since I said it, all of a sudden you're gonna do it magically. Like it's like when people say to flip higher, it's unimaginably oh, frustrating if you are the person. Trying to flip harder for like three years, and you're just like, I don't know how to flip higher. Like I know, I know the definition of the word higher. Please stop saying it to me. It's like so.
1: somebody like lifting, and you're like, and they fail on a back squat. And You're like, <laughs> just just back squat harder, man. Yeah. You push harder. <laughs> yeah. you remember engage your legs. And you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I feel like again those those mechanistic um, comments um that's where cues come in place so i think that a lot of wisdom comes from coaches in their in their progressions and i think a lot of wisdom comes from coaches in their well the best one is the intuition of just understanding what someone's capable of and then the other one is the uh you know being aware of like what potential like risk is for whatever the progression is that they're putting them towards in parkour i think a super common one that i see a couple common ones that i see are um And flips, I really worry about it. I will just say something about that, because people do talk about elements of the flip that need to be corrected sort of mid-flip. And when you've got somebody who goes in to do a flip and then they're trying to think about making a change, that half second of like delay in the movement while they're sort of in the air thinking about something, I feel like that has to be like a whole part that they work on or they need to be pulled and work on a progression where that progression emphasizes what needs to be corrected mid-flip instead of being like when you're in the air make sure mm-hmm. blah 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 it's like when you're in the air make sure you don't land on your head or your yeah. arm and hyper it you've got bigger things to you got, right, yeah. bigger things you don't to don't worry about milliseconds to
2: think yeah. about something and execute it uh in flips it's you're really easy to visualize but you also have that same problem in in terra you have milliseconds to get your second foot in place for precision so and to to give someone a cue, especially midair, or to tell them to do it in the middle of their flip, or especially if they're dealing with fear as well.
0: It's, it's such a hard task for those kids to accomplish. To <laughs> yes, like some of the ones that I run into specifically are, the biggest one when I'm working with new people is not having a appropriate ankle strength or proprioception to be able to understand what, uh, where the foot placement needs to be. So any jump onto an object needs to be stable so it doesn't go forwards or backwards. Like those plow boxes love to flip forward if you hit them too far forward, Mm -hmm. but also that the foot, the minimum of the midfoot, is over the object. So a super common one for kids and adults is to start to overextend their strides or reach because in the beginning when people are training, they aren't actually striding when you say stride, we say stride, stride, pre, they're but they're really the big steppy, big steppy, big steppy <laughs> jumpy, right? It's not really a stride. They're reaching and they're covering that distance with their gait instead of actually taking off and landing on one foot. So when they do actually get the confidence, or when the reach is so far, as a beginner, I always make my um, make my students hit with the whole foot over the object, right? So there's this inclination to sort of hop or jump to things and let the ball of the foot be on the edge and like the two foot of precision landing position. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people don't realize that how much the second foot is helping. You know what I mean? Like they'll go like, well, I did this with two feet, so I, I should be able to do it with one, but that's half the load difference, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's, maybe more. It's, yeah, it's twice the load and half the surface area. Yeah. And it could be your your weaker leg and, and, and any number of things, right? And there's velocity in there, so I would say the good good cues for that one to to just that's that if I see someone coaching and they aren't paying attention to stuff like that, I immediately think that that coach is, is not is it need, needs more attention on things. So that and then working on rails too soon, I don't like to see rails. Um, I'm just gonna call out some like specific parkour footwises, and you guys can give some techniques too. But I just there's some meat in it. I don't like to see. Athletes, newer athletes, training on rail, precision, or even rail balance, and the coach isn't paying attention to the the position of their ankle relative to the bar. So if you're on like a lateral plane and the ball of the foot is is on the rail, then you have control and strength enough that the heel doesn't dip too far. Now, if we're making a minor adjustment and it goes, but people who are hanging in rail balance with their ankles mm-hmm. sub rail they're just on the connective tissue like this is even though they claim that they're very flexible and they have great ankles if they don't have the strength and range of motion there they can't take load cool you can stand there like that but as soon as I say hey jump even a foot to that rail you're just gonna bottom out and it's not gonna be good for you. you won't be able to do anything with it um so that's that's one that I look for is basic foot placement is there support for the foot until we get the tab strong enough and the and the tension like Justin's saying the timing of those two foot landings to meet at the same time I always reference a Uh, I used to have a a technique in wushu. My wushu coach would always like yell at me for not for making two sounds on my landings. Like to do a a clean, yeah. If it sounds like, (laughs) that. I would always get yelled at it. Because a lot of times we would hit a a kick or a trick or a technique, or we do a jump. We do like a jump outside, you know, slap the foot or whatever and land, the land had to be both feet. That's two feet sound like that, not like that. And that presents risk for um for injury when we do precisions and they sound like yep right um and that and that's, jumping for bars
2: because i use the same i use the uh, audio cue when students are doing the precisions
1: too so it's one sound you guys seen that whoosh you uh, had a first time clip right. without like yeah, little toddler <laughs> and he's thousands like, of years ago he's like, like breaking a board um he's like maybe three um a little like Asian kid, he's in martial arts studio and he's supposed to stomp and break the board, <laughs> oh, yes, but he can't get it, so he's, he steps on it. And and the like instructor is like, Harder, you got this, and he's like, stomps and he doesn't get it. And so then the little guy does two foot jumps on it, and he's like, Jumping on it, and the coach pulls him off, and he's like, One foot, one foot, <laughs> <laughs> and he's, and like, like, so he's like, Jumping in it's like, One sound. Once, one, yeah, he's like, he's stomping on it and he can't get it. And so he's like, yeah, he's like <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> it's great. so adorable. Wow. And, I, and he like pushes him up and he's like, no, no, no.
0: One one I think that, I think it, the translation, or I think that the Chinese part was, was, and I think that meant in one, in one moment, uh, you arrive at the position, right? So it was, it was, there was the, in, the intention of sound, but the additional attention of that at time, right? Yeah. The time is one, in one moment, you're on it, right? Yeah. And I think I may have butchered one of those <laughs> in there, but I think it's close. It's all right. You guys have any other crimes against coaching that
1: you want to toss in there? Bars, to jumping up? to bars. Oh yeah, I mean, if we want to get specific,
0: we can talk about like
1: swinging shouldn't,
0: if you got a new student, they shouldn't be doing swinging. <laughs> we to talked a little bit about lo- lower, lower body. I just want to make some comments about upper body since we're, we talked about flips. We talked about jumping a little bit. You know the assumption that you know again i cannot i just cannot sleep at night when i'm looking at <laughs> that i'm looking at someone again this is this you're you're failing through learning or you're trying to learn some strength technique as part of a high impact technique right so you're we don't even know if someone can hang from a bar but mm. we're going to tell them to jump to a bar and we, we assume that there's some parallel universe in physics that exists where it's like even though a person can't hang if they were to jump to the bar then they would suddenly have this strength um
2: oh yeah jumping to a bar
0: yes you almost need
2: to be like super saiyan 3 mode before you just do it Uh, and no point should you ever just like "Ah, i feel like jumping to that bar and and give it a shot i don't do that but particularly as a kid if your hands are sweaty or you know the bar is sweaty from the kid before you like it was just Mm -hmm. jumping to the bar without being in the mode to jump to bars is just uh, asking for yourself
1: to slip out on it it's it's just an ex, an experience thing too right like very rarely have i encountered an adult who's like yeah i do hanging like every day mm-hmm. right and so as a result of that i'm like so last time you were swinging
0: was when you were seven years old on the playground yeah, and you also got, remember that being to, you had no problem on the monkey bars. Yeah, <laughs> you yes. were an Olympic, like, freaking gymnast. So doing skipped two <laughs> monkey bars at a time. All right, that's how you remember it. if I went back and, in time and looked at you, you were a hot mess we talked, on one barely. We
1: talked about that, right? How, like, sometimes you'll, you'll hit something, and you'll take a long break, and you'll come back, and your nervous system will be like, yep, I remember that. We can mm-hmm. still do it. Nope. Right? But your body has atrophied, or you've gotten heavier, or you've gotten lighter, or... You've had several concussions, and so your vestibular system is (laughs) different now. Yeah, just things are different. You always need to test and retest before you just go into these heavy things. And with new students, um, hopefully you know, in like five to 10 years, I live in a different world where I can trust that people are doing hanging daily. But anytime I get a new student, I'm like, you haven't hanged in years, so Mm -hmm. we're just gonna start with basic assisted hanging. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but I can do a weighted pull up. And I'm like, great the force that you exert on a weighted pull-up is like 1 80th oh, yeah. of, the, of the force that we're going to generate when
0: you, swing. when you swing all right so i think that what do you guys think a good metric is um for, 60 second hang and then a single arm hang uh i want 25
1: seconds on a single arm
0: hang. okay on a bar 25 is pretty good mm. yeah i would even i would even take yeah 50 just show that you can do it for some yeah. period of time and then I just, working if up you that can
2: hang one arm without the rotation if you immediately let your hand go and you start doing that twist to
1: yeah the turnout yeah, yeah. On uh, i'm talking just passive 25 passive yeah but yeah if you're doing an active i would take 15
0: yeah okay okay i think those are good because you, people aren't people aren't imagining that if you lose one hand you're on the other one and i just saw we're talking about the people who believe what they used to be able to do and and so much is is sort of like guiding when you have a new student through some of their exploration because they're just wondering. They're getting a little mad scientist on themselves. You know what I mean? They start to get some confidence. They're like, oh man, I can jump to that. And this parkour thing, I'm a kid again. And they jump to a bar. (laughs) I mean, I know I wrecked myself early on training, um, trying things like that on my own. Um, I remember doing like a essentially like a power stride off a plyo box to an eight foot bar And then grabbing and swinging, just going completely like vertical and (laughs) dropping like eight feet on the ground, hitting the back of my head and being like, "Mm, gosh. And just being like, oh, it knocked uh, the wind out of me. Yep. Yep. Doing that like gasping, like a dementor just swooped by you. (laughs) And then you guys, I remember, I think I remember I was training with you at that time and you guys were like, why did you do that? Like, I don't know, I just saw the bar and it was within reach. So that's a (laughs) lot of coaching has to be like, Okay, they're going to jump there, there, there. And then what's around on that bar, don't jump at that bar. I wasn't going to jump at that bar. And then they get down there and they kind of like start reaching for it. Like yep. something's possessed them. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I just want to do it. Oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes
1: when setting up for a class, I'll set up a drill and then I'll be like, nope, they're going to jump there. And so I'll yep. slide the box over here or I'll move a box in the way, mm-hmm. right? Or if there's a bar there and I just, I, I can't adjust my setup because there's just too much. And I know that there's like a tempting bar jump. I'll straight up drag a vault yep. box underneath that bar, so yeah. it's like they can't swing. There's just yep. a little window now, and then they can jump and try and cat leap it and stuff like
0: that. And I can have something fun to to add. And sometimes to it. I put the foam noodles over it, so yeah. it's like completely you, out of bounds. you You're put, just like I,
1: I worry about the foam noodle because I think they'll I still think jump at it. Kids, they'll jump for it, dude. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dang it!
0: They're I like, gr- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: they're like, oh my gosh, Ninja Warrior! <laughs> so like, yeah but, yeah part coaching of coaching is, bear is yeah. being able to predict and see those sorts of things that that your students are going to want to do and just out of sight out of mind getting it yes. out of the way so that you yeah that's very good predict the, the the
2: chaos right? it's chess the chess of coaching yes because they're yeah it's sometimes you have a course set up and you're like this is perfect i really want this move in there they're gonna have a blast with it but you just need to like look at the like two feet to the left and if there's that bar sticking out or there's just something you yeah you know, Behind them, enticing. You're right going to have on, to change yeah. your favorite or, part of the course because kids are just going to see. They're going to be curious. They're going to want to do something different than the rest of the class.
1: So, Or you have to look at it from their height. <laughs> yes. right? mm-hmm. Or yes. from their yeah, height. Like it's, their yeah, like sometimes I, right, I do a lot of those like high school workshops and I don't know what they feed kids in high school these days. Um, oh, yeah. I was like I was like a little shorter, but not like a ton shorter when I was in high school. And now they're like all taller than me mm-hmm. by like magnitudes of feet who's like, dude's like six foot four, and I'm like, okay, I have to look at things from his perspective as well, when I'm setting stuff up, when I'm coaching him. Because otherwise, yeah, he might get himself in trouble doing this jump, and there's a bar there that I can just yeet, right? That's but for accurate, him, he's gonna yeah. jump and
0: boom, like top yep. of his head, now he's out. And so I have to think about these things too. And it doesn't matter, you can call it out. Like the number of times I've been like, and you over here, and here, and there's a bar here, don't hit your head on it, I'll turn around and be like, boom. <laughs> You're like, lunch time. <laughs> <So. laughs>
2: yes, actually Jesse brings up the the one my most personal pet peeve is forgetting the height of your students. And like they'll hold the noodle there for you know jumping over it for like all the average kids. And there there comes this like one kid who's two feet tall, and they're just like, Alright, Billy. And Billy's like, Really? And he's like, I gotta stick up or I gotta keep up with the tall kids. And then Billy tries to friggin Run and jump over the noodles. It's taller than his head, but the coach forgets to lower it for, you know, people. To adjust. You got to remember those little kids, man. Their le- their knees are, like, that high. Like, inches off the ground. <laughs> you can't keep the noodle the same for those kids. This and is a the personal. This is, this is a personal. personal. This is personal
0: for adjusting. He's-
2: because those guys have, like, those, especially the little ones, have the most, like, I have to do it. If yeah. everyone else did it, I have to do it, too. I have to keep up. So, like, you have to. Just like sneak a little inch down, to, without hurting their, you know,
1: self esteem there. Yeah, I and mean, sometimes you gotta, you gotta box the self esteem just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you be like, you, you can't, you literally <laughs> cannot hit that jump, okay? You will die if you hit that <laughs> jump. Yeah, <laughs> no. This isn't a preference. You shouldn't be doing
2: that eight foot gap to the foam pit. No, you just turned eight, dude.
0: Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways. That's a problem with good coaching. Doesn't There's, it really I,
1: good. I think, I mean, it I really it really think on yeah. this on this topic, we could probably go for another hour, hour and a half talking about like crimes against coaching. But mm-hmm. I think we listed some really good ones that that are pretty common for for newbie coaches and experienced coaches to to slip into without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, you guys got something out of it, and uh, Colin uh-huh. can make a list of them. of each oh yeah <laughs> hey, we can uh, come up with a fun alliteration for each one We're but. spotlights
2: on us now now we can't make any of these mistakes <laughs> so yeah. yeah this is definitely an episode
0: <laughs> that the staff gets listened to, listen to so. <laughs> <laughs> and yet yeah,
1: i say call me out on it if you see oh, me yeah, in there me don't too. call me out in the middle of class because i will mm, I, won't I mean it's all things one we've one. Been but pull me aside to, yeah if you're yeah. like hey uh, no, yeah we you did because i we, want to know that we've done the mistakes before yeah yeah and if I slip into that, by all means, be like, you pulled a hucket, Harry. Mm, yeah, <laughs> hucket, like, Harry. Like,
0: Dude, you're little coaching right now, Jesse? No. Get your eyes off that 10 foot pillar. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah. thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, if you're listening to us, know that you can uh, watch us and see our pretty faces. You can also see my uh, hang loose gesture that you missed. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, lots of animation. if you're watching us on YouTube and you got that YouTube red, which means you're really listening to us, um, you want to watch us, you can. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those other things. Anchor, which I don't exactly know what is, but it's a thing. It's a and place where you there. can give us money if you wanted to. You know yeah, I mean? it's like five bucks, right?
0: You can put whatever you want on oh, there. Oh,
1: sweet. So yeah, if you like want to buy us a copy or something, because Travis always gets a copy, Justin always gets a copy. So, we're eating into coffee fun. So, if you want to buy them a coffee, <laughs> please, by all means, that yeah. would be great. Or if you want to buy us a, a, a Lambo. Lambo. <laughs> if you want to do that,
0: it'll go to Travis. Yeah. Um, actually, it'll go. To, it'll just it. go to OutRun as a whole. And then yeah. we'll, we'll we'll scrap it for
1: uh, an
0: obstacle in the new gym. Ooh, that would be pretty cool. But anyways, thanks for tuning in to this, <laughs> show, this episode <laughs> no,
1: of the OutRun cool. show. We'll catch you guys next time. Yep, see you guys. Bye
0: bye. It has to be it's for the uh...